Happy Easter. It is Easter Sunday, a day filled with worship, with Easter baskets, with Easter bonnets and dresses and shirts and days spent with family full of pastel colors. It's the only time guys wear pastel, I swear. But have you ever stopped to think about what life would be like if there was no Easter? I mean, if the Marvel Universe or Marty McFly before that has told us anything, small changes in history will dramatically change the future. I mean, if there was no Easter, would we have any use for plastic eggs? Anybody? We would live in a world without Cadbury cream eggs or peeps. Maybe there would be benefits. But we would never experience the perfect blend of peanut butter and chocolate in a Reese's peanut butter egg either, right? And maybe most importantly, if there was no Easter, the guy who invented plastic grass, he would still have friends. We can think about all of these kind of silly things that would change if there was no Easter. But if there was no Easter, the world would be different in significant ways too. Good Friday. Well, that'd just be Friday. Because nobody really cares if the Romans execute innocent men. They've done it before and we don't remember any of those guys. Our only hope for a relationship with a God who created and loves us if there's no Easter is through our good works and working hard enough and getting there and earning it. If there's no Easter, Peter's just an insignificant, below-average fisherman. If there's no Easter, many of our lives in this room lack meaning and purpose. See, an empty cross, that was common. The Romans humiliated and degraded lots of people in this horrible death. But an empty tomb, that's the power of Easter. You see, everybody dies. But only a few in history have ever come back to life. And only one did it by himself. Maybe you came here this morning and you put on your Easter shirt or whatever shirt somebody told you you had to wear for Easter. And you've psyched yourself up all week because somebody told you if you don't come here today, there's no lunch afterwards. So you're here. But the truth is you've been psyching yourself up for days to figure out how you're going to get through this afternoon with family, how you're going to walk through this hour, how you're not going to stand out. And you're probably wondering, what if everybody here knew what I'd done? What if everybody here knew the things I think about? Would I still be welcome? Maybe some of you are sitting in this room full of people And you feel completely alone. I want you to know I am so glad you're here. No matter who you are or what you've done, 
You're not alone. If you've read any of the Bible, you know it's filled with page after page after page of people whose stories aren't great. Many of them are broken. Many of them are incomplete. But the empty tomb means restoration is available for all of our broken stories. The empty tomb is the power to heal and transform I want to show you that today by inviting you on a journey through one guy's life. The guy by the name of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. And in order to help you understand all about Peter, I want to take you back to when Peter met Jesus. See, Jesus' ministry is just getting started. He's just a traveling preacher. As he walks around preaching and telling, crowds are beginning to gather. And one day as he comes to the Sea of Galilee, the crowd gets a little bit bigger. And Jesus steps backwards to get away because the crowd is pressing in. And he realizes he steps into the water. And there's a fishing boat there. So he steps up into the boat and he asks the fishermen if he can push back just a little bit. Jesus does what he's going to do. He tells this message and he looks at this professional fisherman. The traveling preacher looks at the professional fisherman and says, hey, do you think we could push out just one more time? See if, go a little further, see if we can catch any fish. And Simon looks up at him and says, we've fished all night. We've already cleaned the nets. But if you want us to go out one more time, we'll go out. So they push the boats a little further out. Simon drops the nets and they begin to pull them and they can't. The catch of fish is so big the boat begins to sink into the water. They wave out their buddies in a second boat. They grab the other side of the net. They begin to pull them up and both boats begin to sink. And Simon in that moment realizes there's something different about this preacher in his boat. And as they get to shore, Simon asks Jesus to go. Please leave me. Jesus turns to Simon and he says, no, no, Simon. Today, I want you to follow me. Today, Simon, you'll no longer be known as Simon. You're Peter. And on this rock, God is going to build his church. Peter, I'm inviting you to come follow me. And maybe in the most amazing part of the story, they leave everything. We don't even know what happens to the, to the catch of fish. The seagulls had a great lunch that day, I guess. As they just leave everything and follow Jesus. And as Peter walks with Jesus, we get to see throughout the pages of Scripture who Peter really is, his excitement, his enthusiasm, his boldness, his reactivity to the things happening. You see, Simon's the one that we love to tell Simon's stories, but we're glad we didn't have to ever have to live Simon's stories. Jesus gathers the disciples around after he teaches one day. It's just he and his disciples, and he asks them, who's the crowd say that I am? And they give him a bunch of different answers and he looks at them and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've waited for. You're the one who's gonna save us from our sins. You're the one who's gonna set us free. That's who you are. He's the first one like that to answer the question. 
Later, one day after they've been out, the disciples are tired, so Jesus puts them in a boat. He says he's going to go pray, pushes the boat out in the water, and later in the night, Jesus comes walking out to the boat. Simon says, Jesus, is that you? Jesus responds, yes, and he says, can I come out? And Jesus says, sure, come on. Peter's the only one who steps out of the boat and begins to walk on the water. Peter's the one who on Friday, the last meal Jesus sits down to have with his disciples, Jesus realizes there's no servant, so he takes his outer cloak off, wraps a towel around his waist, gets down to wash the disciples' feet, and Peter's like, not mine. No, 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 Jesus. You are not going to take that humble position. You may not wash my feet. He's the one who just a few hours later, when they go to the garden to pray and the Romans come to arrest Jesus, he pulls his sword out and cuts the Roman guard's ear off. Peter, always the reactive one, always the bold one, always the one to go and do the thing. But his boldness gets him into situations sometimes where he doesn't know exactly what to do next or he promises things he can't keep. Maybe the most heartbreaking is told to us in Matthew chapter 26, and I want to read it for you. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Fast forward just a few hours. Jesus has been arrested. Peter's standing in a courtyard around a campfire watching this trial happen. A servant girl walks up to him. Wait, we're... Weren't you with Jesus in the garden? Didn't I? No, no, no. I don't know who he is, Peter says. A little while later, somebody else comes up and asks, wait, didn't I? Aren't you Peter? You're the guy who was following Jesus. He's like, no, I don't know who he is. A third time, somebody else walks up and says, wait, I know. I saw you. I told you I don't know who he is. And the rooster crows. Luke tells it this way, at that moment the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Have you ever put yourself in Peter's shoes? Maybe some of you are living life in Peter's shoes. You've made a commitment that you swore you were going to stick to, and you've dropped the ball. Diet plans, anyone? <laughs> Maybe you made a vow. You said never. But that's not the way it turned out. Maybe you've made promises to your kids to show up, to be there, to do something, and you didn't show up. 
You see, on this night, there's no Jesus to come put his arm around Peter again and say, it's going to be okay. God's on a cross. God's in a tomb. There's no hope of restoration for Peter as he walks out of that courtyard tonight. And some of us feel like there's no restoration for us. There's no hope. You'd look at me and say, Jason, if you knew what I did, you'd know there's no hope. We convince ourselves of that lie and we live in this incredibly painful, isolated place that Peter finds himself in. If there's no empty tomb, maybe Peter is most hopeless of all. But it's not Friday. It's Sunday. And the tomb is empty. And hope is alive. And I don't think it's any accident that the Bible closes Peter's story with Jesus on the shore of the same lake where Jesus first called him to follow. Peter's gathered his disciples, gathered a few of the disciples. They've gone out fishing. They fished all night. They've caught nothing. If you haven't figured anything else out in the sermon today, Peter's a horrible fisherman. They see a figure standing on the beach. Throw your nets down on the right side. I can just see Peter in desperation throwing the net and beginning to wait. And he pulls, and the nets are full again. And Peter knows it's Jesus. Peter dives off the front of that boat, swims to shore to see Jesus. This isn't the first time he's seen him alive, but they haven't had a moment alone yet. As the disciples pull in their boats, as Peter gets out of the water, he sees the campfire. Jesus has fish and bread cooking. He invites the other disciples to come and sit and have breakfast. Now, I'm an emotional guy. I don't like to admit that, but it's just true. I don't hide it very well. You put a movie on about a boy and his dog, I'm going to cry like a baby. (laughs) This scene, breakfast is over. In my mind, it plays out something like this. You're sitting on a piece of driftwood. Jesus slides a little closer to Peter, just kind of pulls his arm and spins him around so their back is the campfire. Can you feel Peter's weight? He finally gets to tell Jesus how sorry he is. Or maybe you feel the tension between just getting called to the principal's office, right? Like, oh no, what's the consequence it's gonna be? Jesus looks at him and he says, Simon, can you feel Peter's shoulders drop? Simon. I'm not Simon, I'm Peter. The one you're going to build your church on. I haven't been Simon since the day we met. She just looks at him and says, Simon, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, then go feed my sheep. She says, Simon, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. She says, then go take care of my lambs. A third time, Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, do you love me? Peter's hurt. 
says, Lord, you know I love you. Then go care for my sheep. And at the end of this conversation, Jesus offers the same invitation back to Peter he did that first day. If you love me, feed my sheep and come follow. Come follow me, Peter. Jesus does three things for Peter in the midst of this place. He reminds Peter he has value. Jesus has done what he said he would do. He's left the masses. He's left the others and he's went after the one. He looks at Peter in that painful place. He says, Peter, you denied me three times. I need to hear you love me three times. And he speaks value back into Peter's life. Some of you are sitting in this room today and you wonder, do I have any value? Have the things I've done, the things I think, the things that you don't know about, have they stripped me of value because I don't feel like I'm of any value to my friends or my family? Jesus looks at you this morning and says, yes. I'm coming after you just like I came after Peter. I love you. It's through this conversation that Jesus restores that value in Peter. And church, just in case you thought you were off the hook on Easter Sunday because you're already followers, that's our job. I don't care who it is we're in conversation with, how we're interacting with them, whether we agree or disagree with them, we have to speak value into the lives of those we come in contact with every day. Not only does Jesus give Peter value, he gives him purpose. He says, Peter, if you love me, then go feed my sheep. Go care for my people. Go tell them how much I love them. Show them the love that you've received from me. Go do it. If you know the biblical story, it takes almost no time for Peter to be out, to be preaching, to be telling people. He walks through the streets and he heals those who are sick and hurting. He meets with them in their homes. He does exactly what he's seen Jesus do because he's been restored because the tomb is empty. Each and every one of us in this room have purpose. There's nothing you could have done that breaks God having a purpose for you. God can use you no matter what. Sure, Peter had his doubters. You know there were those guys when he was walking down the street. And he was preaching. They'd be like, remember? Remember that night around the fire? Yeah, that guy's fraud. He's not real. People probably love to bring that up for Peter. But it never hindered him. Don't let it hinder you. Don't let it hinder us. Church, I'm telling you right now, I'm not here because I memorized the most memory verses in my Sunday school class. I'm not here because I've read the Bible more than anybody else. I'm here because God went to a cross and walked out of a tomb and fixed my broken story. I'm here because a group of people wouldn't give up on me. I'm here because on Sunday the tomb was empty. And God can use your story too. I don't care who you are or what you've done. God has a purpose for you. And lastly, Peter walks out of this incident changed. If you've ever been humbled, you've ever been broken, you've ever had these things happen, you walk out, maybe not with a physical limp, but there's a little bit of a limp. 
there's a scar. And that limp or that scar remind you where you've come from. They humble us. They give us more grace and more compassion for those we interact with. They make it easier for us to love because we remember who we were when Jesus first loved us. The tomb is empty means restoration is available for our broken stories. Church, it's Sunday morning. Hope has come. Forgiveness is here. Restoration is available. We worship a God of second chances who doesn't say, oh, you messed up. Sorry. He says, oh, you messed up. Come back. I still love you. You still love me. Let's do this thing together. That's the truth of the empty tomb. We have a purpose and we have a mission because the tomb is empty. Now, if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know how you knew it, but you've been talking to me all morning or you're here this morning and you're like, I didn't want to come, but you know, the music was great. And you've never taken that first step to follow Jesus. It's really simple. I'm going to pray a prayer. Nothing magic about these words at all. I just want you to repeat them silently in your own head. And what you're doing at this moment is simply committing to yourself that I'm going to take the first step today to follow. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to follow perfectly. Nobody in this room does. But even when we make mistakes, Jesus, come back. It's okay. But you're taking that first step and saying, I'm going to follow you today, Jesus. Let's pray. If you want to pray that for the first time today, just repeat these words silently. Jesus, I've kept you out of my life for far too long. I know that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes, and I can't save myself. I need you as my source of hope and help in the midst of life's storms. I'm sorry for my sin and I turn away. Jesus, you are the Savior and I want you to be Lord of my life. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want to live differently. I want to discover the purpose you have. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning for the first time, there's a QR code on the front chair in front of you. We would love to be able to connect with you because walking this journey alone is not going to work. So when you scan that, just let us know you prayed that prayer. We'll follow up this week. If you need somebody to talk to today before you leave, there'll be prayer workers on the side of the room and they have a gift that they would love to give you. It's Easter Sunday and the tomb is empty. Amen? Amen.